Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. It is so good to be here uh, in person gathering together and worshipping together and leaning in to God's word together. And I just, I just want to say that uh, our hearts and our prayers are for uh, are with all those in, in Sydney and New South Wales and, and Melbourne as they don't get to do what we're doing after just two weeks of lockdown. So um, we, our prayers are with you. But if you've, uh, if you've been with us on this journey through James and if you've been reading through the book of, of James as we do this series, um, as you've been encouraged to do, you'll have discovered that James does not hold back. He doesn't pull any punches, does he? He's, it's a really practical book that gives us a very practical perspective on trusting God in every situation and how that we are putting our faith into action and we should be working for the benefit of others. We're called to live like Jesus. And our radical obedience as believers should affect everyone around us. Our co-workers, our colleagues, employees, our boss, our neighbours, our parents, our siblings, our spouse, There's not one person around you that your faith in Jesus doesn't have an impact on. And faith at work loves extravagantly. Now, James chapter two delves into this whole issue, this really important issue of favoritism. And he wants us to learn to love without bias or without prejudice. We all know to some degree what it's like to be on the receiving end of favoritism or, or prejudice. You know, growing up, um, my siblings always sort of joked, sort of, that I was the favorite in the family. But then when I would be standing along the side of the sporting field and be the last one chosen yet again, as a, as a shy kid, I tell you, I didn't feel like the favourite then. They were horrible processes that we used to go through. I know that some of you have experienced much greater levels of, of favouritism and, and prejudice, and that today you're holding a great deal of pain. And I just want to start by saying I'm really sorry for whatever your experience and whatever pain you're carrying due to the, the, the prejudice and the favoritism that's been against you. I know that James isn't using the term favoritism here to highlight our sporting prowess or lack thereof, but whatever your personal experience of favoritism is, James makes it clear that favoritism is a sin. Now, some sins are more obvious than others. Others are are much more covert. Some sins you don't know that somebody's actually struggling with unless they trust you enough to tell you. And favoritism is one of those sins that is so secret we rarely admit it. This sin is not only secret, but it's sinister. 
It's hard to think of a sin that is more contrary to the will of God than having feelings of superiority and condescension towards those who are different from us. In the literal sense, glasses serve to correct the distortion of our physical eyesight. Many of you, like me, have gotten to a certain unspecified age group where your eyesight is not quite what it used to be and glasses have become a necessity. In fact, without them, the world is just a blur. For the last number of years, my physical eyes have needed the correction that glasses bring. In fact, the amount of times that I've stood in front of the mirror in the morning and I've put my makeup on and I'm just so pleased with how good it looks, then I put my glasses back on and I can see black blobs everywhere. Guys, you've got no idea how hard it is. I realized that I need the correction that glasses bring. In fact, I had to go and buy a 10 times magnifying mirror just to be able to put my makeup on in the morning. This is a real problem. And no, I haven't found the miracle cure for deteriorating eyesight, but I have discovered contact lenses. And with contact lenses, I can kid myself and a few other people that maybe I'm not as old as they think I am and my eyes aren't quite as bad as they actually are. It also means that when we have to wear masks, my glasses don't fog up or my two-year-old granddaughter doesn't yank my glasses off and break them yet again. But while these glasses help to correct the distortion of our physical eyesight. Metaphorically speaking, we all see the world around us and the people in it through our own set of glasses, our own lenses. Our perception of people is affected by our internal belief system through which we view the world. Let me say that again. Our perception of people is affected by our internal belief system through which we view the world. And sometimes our perception is warped. For whatever reason, we judge people based on false perception. And here is James's message to the church. He says, you're looking through the wrong lenses and it's distorting your view of people. Really distorting. But we know what it's like to wear the wrong glasses when we actually can't see things properly. James says there's no place in God's family to show favoritism or prejudice or partiality towards another person. It's time to adjust your focus, change your prescription. As you get older, your physical vision keeps deteriorating, unfortunately, and you need to keep getting a new prescription. Your prescription, the way you see things, needs to be adjusted on a regular basis. And the same is true for the eyes of our heart. 
and the way we view people. We need to keep checking our attitude towards people and making sure that it's in line with God's vision of them. For instance, are we looking at people through star-struck eyes? We're awed by their power or their wealth or their good looks or their position. (laughs) Or perhaps, perhaps we don't actually look at them at all. Or we pretend we're looking at them, but we don't really see them. Maybe because their skin colour is different from ours. And we conclude that for that reason alone, they're inferior. These really are hard to see through. (laughs) Maybe it's refugees. Maybe it's the way people dress or the way that they talk. We question people's intelligence or their common sense according to the postcode in which they live. Or maybe the place they hold on the org chart at work. We may even find them just a little bit annoying because they have a different opinion to us and they can't help but constantly post it on Facebook. Whatever the reason, we determine that they're inferior to us. You've heard heard the expression, looking at people or situations through rose-coloured glasses or rose-tinted glasses which means you see only the good things, the good points, and therefore your view is unrealistic. It's rose-tinted. This morning, I want to suggest that we need to put on our God-coloured glasses and learn to see the world and people the way he does. You didn't know that God had big, shiny, pink love heart glasses, did you, to help him see the world the right way? But we need to have our God-colored glasses on. Because if I'm day by day growing to be more Christ-like, then my view of people should be more and more aligned with his. And this was clearly the case for the early church too, since James addresses this issue in such strong terms. He's got some pretty pointed things to say about people who are prejudiced or show favoritism. Believers who don't see people through God's colored glasses. They needed some of these big suckers themselves. We're gonna read from James chapter two. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He doesn't say here, try not to show favoritism. He says, believers in our Lord, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, But you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom promised to those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There's some strong words in this scripture. James says that people who are prejudiced and show favoritism have evil thoughts. They dishonor others. He says that they are lawbreakers. Strong words. Why does James consider it so grievous to hold prejudice or show favoritism? Because the Bible makes it very clear that it goes against the very nature of God himself. You know, Romans 2 verse 11, Paul tells us that God shows no favoritism. In this context, Paul is talking about God's righteous and just treatment of both the Jews and the Gentiles. And his point is that the distinction between them in terms of ethnicity doesn't even register in God's heart. And later on, Paul in Ephesians 6 commands masters to treat their servants with fairness and kindness because with God, there's no favoritism. God doesn't treat employers better than he treats employees just because one is the boss and one isn't. Peter actually gives me hope in Acts 10 because God had to give him the same vision three times before he was able to let go of his own prejudice and favoritism that came from his Jewish customs and beliefs. But when Peter did, he was able to share the gospel with Cornelius and his whole household. And for the first time in history, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. Peter declares in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. When God says that he doesn't show favoritism, he means that his family will come from every category of humanity, all classes, all culture, all skin colours, all personality types, and all kinds of politics. That's why when we get a little glimpse into heaven, when Scripture gives us a peek into heaven, it's filled with those who come from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. How good is that? Heaven is going to be fantastic, filled with every person from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue. 
So if God has no favourites, we shouldn't either. So let's take a look at the illustration that James gives us in the first seven verses of this scripture. It's pretty easy to understand. James gives the example of two men, and it could easily be two women, who walk into the church gathering, and you immediately start to notice the differences between them. One comes in dressed in the fine Giorgio Armani suit or maybe carrying the Prada handbag or wearing the Tiffany jewellery. We know that's never going to be me because my husband is tight. But the other, which is more likely to be, no. Um, the other is dressed in dirty old clothes. And you can imagine that they look and smell like they've been living on the street for years. They're obviously lacking in financial resources. And it becomes pretty obvious from the start that besides the fact that one is much more acceptable to approach based on appearance, one's also more likely to give generously to the church. One's more likely to benefit you than the other. So you lead the wealthy man or woman to the best seats in the church. Now, I don't actually know which the best seats in the church are. Clearly, it's not the front row. Put your hand up if you think you're in the best seats in the church today. Yeah, good. I reckon there's a whole stack of people online putting their hand up this morning as they sit there on their couch in their pajamas with their coffee in hand. Best seats in the house. But the point is, you lead the wealthy person to the best seats in the house and you treat them with kindness and respect while the poor person is marginalised and put off to the side, maybe not even given a seat, put on the floor, maybe left in the foyer, maybe not even welcomed into the front doors. You know, if I was to ask for a show of hands this morning, I reckon most of us would agree that favouritism is not good. But this isn't a hypothetical issue that James is dealing with. It's a big problem. And sadly, it's been a big problem for the church ever since. We don't like to admit it, but we're all inclined to behave like this at times. And James says, stop it. Stop it. Favoritism is forbidden in the life of a believer. It's time to put on your God-coloured glasses and see people the way that he does. Firstly, I want to encourage you that when we put on our God-coloured glasses, we are captivated by God's glory and not man's. See, when we have our God-coloured glasses on, we see things through God's eyes and we can't help but be overwhelmed by the glory of God. In verse one, James says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. You know, there are plenty of words that James could have used here which would have ac accurately described Jesus but he chooses the word glorious. And right from the beginning of this chapter, James is encouraging us not to ascribe glory to people, but to ascribe glory that is due 
his name, the name of Jesus Christ. You see, part of our heart of prejudice and favoritism is our own craving for glory and honor and praise. We want people who are rich and powerful and influential to take notice of us. And we want to avoid, avoid the embarrassment that comes from being associated with the weak and the impoverished and the inconsequential people. We crave glory for, from others and we actually avoid the loss of it for ourselves. So we give preferential treatment to those we believe can provide us with glory and we avoid those who we fear might actually undermine it. James wants us to see that if we know and we love and we trust all that God is for us in Jesus, who is himself the Lord of all glory, that we won't be controlled by the craving for human acceptance and praise. When we're captivated by God's glory, we're reminded of who Jesus is and we walk in confident trust in the strength, in the security, in the joy and the peace that he provides for us. When we do that, what possible place is there for prejudice and favoritism in our hearts? When was the last time that you were captivated, truly captivated by the glory of God, truly gripped by God's glory? I want to encourage you today, take some time to put on your God-colored glasses and focus on him. Speak out loud, there is power in speaking out loud our praise and our adoration and our worship of Him. Declare how good He is, how majestic He is, how glorious He is and how worthy of praise He is. Because when we work, work, uh, focus our worship on God, our hearts can't help but be overwhelmed by His glory. And we begin to see things the way that he does. So that when we turn our eyes from him and to the people around us, to those who annoy us, those who look different to us, those who act different to us, we actually now have God's vision. It's the glory of God that should captivate our hearts, not the glory of man or the praise of man. And secondly, when we put on our, our God-colored glasses, we're gripped by the grace of God. Now, after James finishes the illustration of the rich and the poor entering into the church meeting, we see that prejudice and favoritism are inconsistent with the heart of God himself. In verse five, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? God has chosen the poor to inherit eternal life. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, comes down to the lowly, despised sinners like you and like me. And he gives us life 
for the poorest of the poor, in order that we might be rich in him. 2 Corinthians 8 says it like this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now the whole way through scripture, God demonstrates that he chooses to show his grace to the poor. Those who suffer with physical needs and those who acknowledge their spiritual needs. James is saying that by neglecting the poor, we're contradicting the grace that lies at the very heart of who God is. So to harbor prejudice or hold favoritism in your heart is to actually belittle God and his sovereign work of saving whom he will. We read in 1 Corinthians, listen to these words. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. God's chosen the foolish and the weak rather than the wise and the powerful so that no one is able to boast, but rather everyone would be compelled to acknowledge that he alone is deserving of all praise and all glory. Now, neither Paul nor James is actually suggesting that only the poor are saved and all the rich people are lost. The point is that material poverty and material riches have no influence on who God chooses. God's favor comes through God's grace, and that's what we're to be gripped by as his people. And when we put on our God-colored glasses, we are able to show grace to all people just as he has. Right now, who is God putting on your heart that you need to show grace to? Who is he putting on your heart that he wants you to have his vision for, his love for? Who is it that maybe you haven't been showing the compassion and the forgiveness that God commands you to show? I want to encourage you, turn your eyes towards him. And as you worship and glorify him, allow him to fill you with his Holy Spirit, that you might be filled with forgiveness and grace, even when it's challenging or it feels undeserved. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, not in your own strength, but in his. And lastly, when we put on our God-colored glasses, we are devoted to the law of Christ. James points out that whether you commit adultery, murder, or favoritism, you're guilty of sinning before God. All sin is equal in his eyes. In verse eight, James says that if we allow the royal law, and he's talking about the Levitical law here, 
that tells us to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. If we do that, then we're doing right. And James has clearly paid attention to his older brother, Jesus, as well. And let's face it, we know that's a big deal because none of us like to take advice from our older siblings, let alone one who's proclaimed himself to be the son of God. But rather than wanting to commit his brother for being crazy, James is actually agreeing with him and taking hold of Jesus' advice. Sends a powerful message to the rest of us. What advice from Jesus is James building on? John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the way that we live our lives and the love that we show one another helps others to see who God is and the love that he has for them. People should know that there's a God that's all, that loves them because of the way we love them. That's challenging. Loving acceptance in the workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, leads people to the loving acceptance of Jesus. Loving acceptance in the workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, leads people to the loving acceptance of Jesus. Are you demonstrating the love of Jesus to those that you live, work, and laugh with? Or are you only showing love to those that are easy to love? Showing favoritism destroys the witness of the church to the world. It drags the values of the world into the church. It poisons diversity. And the result is that the church ends up looking less and less like Jesus and more and more like the world. They're strong words. Because when we play favorites in the church, we become clicky and it marginalizes the broken and the sick, the poor, and even the awkward. A healthy church which consciously works against favoritism. It has a diversity that reflects the community around it. Rich, poor, healthy and sick, introvert and extroverts, single, married, divorced, separated or widowed, and the cultural mix of all its neighbours. Let me ask the question, are people comfortable when they come and sit here amongst us? Are we willing to sacrifice our comfort for the sake of others? When the church culture resists favoritism, we actually become a beacon of light in a world filled with bias. We become a beacon of light in, in amongst all the bias that exists in the world. See, the world addresses uh, the problem of bias by anti-discrimination laws and equal opportunity rights. God solves the problem by going to the heart and wanting us to love whoever he places as our neighbor, whether it's within our home, 
our work, our sporting team, our church, our neighborhood. And when we do, when we put on our God-colored glasses and see the heart to the heart of those around us, we actually become a reflection of God's love and God's mercy to a hurting and a broken world. We give up the right to judge. And instead, as James says, we speak and act as those who ourselves are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, I'm grateful that God doesn't judge me as my sins deserve. He doesn't show me prejudice or favoritism. I shouldn't do it either. Jesus commanded it. He said, love one another. James says that it's a good idea. So you know what, church? I reckon it's a good idea. The church has got to look different to the world. A safe place for every tribe, every nation, every tongue. The weird, the challenging, the hard to love. Why? Because God first loved us. He first loved me. God shows no favourites. You know, I recently had the privilege of hearing Cherie's story. I tell you, this story is my constant hope and prayer for the church. This is what the church should look like without prejudice or favouritism. I want to read you Cherie's testimony this morning. After five years in prison, it came time for me to leave. I'd made some mistakes and I'd done my time. During my time in prison, I found Jesus. I did Alpha and I even started Bible college. And when I came out, I wanted to go to church, but I didn't know where I would find a church that could love, accept, and include someone like me. Three days after leaving prison, I walked through the doors of Gateway Logan with my mum, who wasn't a Christian. Both of us were a little bit scared as we sat down. On that very first Sunday, my mum gave her life to Jesus. And over the last six months, we found a church at Gateway that loves, accepts and includes us. I'm connected into a life group that's helping me to grow. And I'm now surrounded by a group of people who are dreaming of ways that God could use my experiences in prison to help others who are going through the same thing. Jesus has not just saved my life and given me hope for the future. He's also brought me to a church that loves and accepts someone like me. That's a powerful testimony. That's a powerful testimony. And I don't know about you, but I wanna hear more stories like that in our church. More people who are coming through our doors who experience the love and the grace and the acceptance of God because they've come into our church. The love and acceptance of God through His people. The reality is 
We all struggle with favoritism. We all struggle not to show partiality, even if even if we don't want to admit it. We all struggle with it. God wants to give us his eyes. His eyes to love the way that he loves. To show others the same grace that he so freely gives us. To give mercy and not judgment that those that we live, work and laugh with would see Jesus in us and come to know Him too. You know, as I've been praying over this message this week, the words of this song have been going around and around in my head. Show me how to love like you've loved me. God, show me how to love others the way that you've loved me. God, me so undeserving. You poured out your love. Show me how to love like you've loved me. Open my eyes to the things that I can't see. Help me to put on my God-colored glasses and see others the way that you do. Help me to love God like you've loved me. It's a really tough prayer to pray. It's a really tough prayer because there are challenging people in all our lives. I want to put out a challenge to us today. I want to pray for for some of you. See, if this is you, if that's your heart for the church, that as a church, we wouldn't show favoritism or partiality or, or prejudice against anyone for any reason, if that's your heart, I wanna ask you in just a moment to stand and commit with me to be a church that loves the way Jesus does. I'm not saying it's gonna be easy. I'm not saying we're gonna get it right every time, but together as we commit to see people the way that God does, to love through His eyes, we're going to see more and more stories like Cherie's come through these doors. We're going to see more and more lives changed by the power of the gospel, of Jesus' love for the hurting and the broken. We're going to welcome heaven into this place as we learn to see and love people like He does. And I want to challenge us. Are we going to willing to commit to be a church that loves like Jesus loves? Maybe this morning as you've been listening, God has put somebody on your heart specifically. There's somebody that God is asking you, challenging you to see through His eyes, to love the way that He does. Maybe it's in the workplace. Maybe it's in your neighbourhood. Maybe it's here in church. Are you willing to commit to turn your eyes to Him, to glorify Him? And as you do, look on people see them with the same love and compassion that God does. As we sing just this this bridge and this and we worship God, I just want to encourage you, if that's you, whether individually or as a church you want to commit to loving and seeing people the way that He does, I want to encourage you to stand and I'm going to pray over us. So why don't we do that now?
God's heart is too. God's heart, God's heart is that we would love and welcome in whoever walks through those doors, whoever comes through those doors, that they would discover a God in heaven who loves them and accepts them. And what a privilege that us in our weakness and in our brokenness, God chooses to use us. It's a challenge and a privilege. Now why don't you reach out your hands and pray with me this morning. God, we acknowledge you. We glorify you. We worship you. You are a good God. You are good. Thank you that you choose us. You choose us in our own brokenness, in our own sin, in the struggles that we have not to show favoritism or prejudice. God, you still choose to use us. You still choose to use me. God, we're so grateful. God, would you fill us with strength? Would you fill us with courage? Would you overwhelm us with your love in the private, in the quiet place, God, that when we look to others, when we interact with people in the world, in our workplace, in our neighbourhood, when we interact with each other, God, we would be a reflection of you and your glory. We would be a reflection of your love and your heart for the broken and for the lost. That others would see in us who you are. They'd see beyond our own brokenness and they would see a God that loves them. They would discover who you are, the truth of your word and the love that you have for them. That we would see more people come into your family. And God, for anybody here this morning that's got someone specifically on their heart, I pray right and even right now that you would be building in them a heart full of love, a heart that sees that person in their brokenness, in their sin, in their pain, in their history see them with a compassion and a love and a forgiveness that can only come from you, can only come from an outpouring of your Spirit in them and through them. God, I pray that you would fill each of us with the courage to love others the way that you do, that we would be a welcoming church that would hear more stories like Cherie's come through those doors. God, I pray that you would fill us afresh right now as we choose to worship you and to glorify you and to commit ourselves as a church to love others without favoritism, without bias. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's stand together and worship. Worship him.
eternity. Bless you, church, as you take the reflection of Jesus into the world. And may you see him do incredibly more above and beyond what you can ask or imagine. Now, we've got a prayer team that would love to stand alongside you if there's somebody on your heart that you're praying for, that God would fill you with the, the strength and the love and the compassion to speak forgiveness into them. Or maybe there's some of you this morning who are carrying pain in your heart because of the, the prejudice that's been against you. We want to stand with you and pray that God would heal that pain too that He would use you as an instrument to those around you to show the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. If that's you, please come down the front um, as we finish up this morning and we'd love to pray with you. Have a great week, church. We'll see you next week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click Get Connected to let us know.